good evening everyone. I'm Shanaleri and a very warm welcome to our casting masterclass for Guru Live Spring. It's a joint programme of events from BAFTA Cymru and BAFTA Scotland and it's so lovely to have you all here. I'm sure a few more will trickle in over the next couple of minutes but just before we dive in we've got a couple of housekeeping bits. Uh, this is a Q&A session, so there'll be plenty of time for you to ask your own questions. Uh, there's a Q&A function uh, which will be open throughout the whole session on this Zoom call and we'll be answering them later. So anything that springs to your mind that you're curious about, any words of wisdom and advice that you'd like, we are all ears, so do send them our way. Closed captioning is also available now, which is amazing, uh, which you can turn on at the bottom of your screen via the CC button. And you can also follow a live transcript of the event via a link that'll be sent in the chat. But today we'll be joined by a casting director responsible for hit Netflix series, Sex Education, a 21st century classic, Paddington 2, a new psychological thriller on the BBC called Chloe. Uh, we'll get to hear all about the creative process of casting, how this casting director brings the characters to life from research to auditions, finding chemistry amongst actors and even working on set. Please welcome Lauren Evans. Lauren, are you there? I'm here. Hello. Oh, can you? Welcome <laughs> So lovely to have you, Lauren. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. What an introduction. I feel like it's so anticlimactic when that <laughs> camera then comes on like, hi, hiya. <laughs> I know. I wish we could do like a big reveal with like a pair of kind Smoke. of lovely robe curtains, you know. <laughs> that would be great. A star class, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, take me right to the beginning then, Lauren. Where did it all begin for you? How did you get into casting? Oh God, um, I was a bit of a lost soul at 16, you know, GCSEs and all that. And everyone seemed to have a very clear idea of what it is that they wanted to do. And I don't know who at 16 knows what their big life choice is going to be. I certainly didn't. So I went and did BTEC Performing Arts because all my mates were doing it. And I just wanted the social life. But anytime they'd say, oh, Lauren, will you get up and do this? Like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Please, I don't want to sing. I don't want to do this. But I knew I wanted to be involved in the arts and in this industry. So I finished college, still very lost, took a gap year, still lost, and then did a, um, an undergraduate course in arts management, um, which I really didn't enjoy. It was very much geared towards the visual arts. But in the final year, we had a, a module that was work placement. So I went back to um, the stage, not stagecoach, the um, drama school that I went to as a child on a Sunday. And they had started um, a management company alongside for the children who were part of the school. And I went for the summer to be an agent there or an agent's assistant and um, really enjoyed it. And as I was getting into it I realized I was talking to casting offices all day and sort of seeing getting a glimpse into their world they would be doing lists and they would be looking for actors for the shows that they were doing and just thought as much as I enjoyed it I thought I might be on the wrong side so when I finished uni I stayed with the agency for a little bit and then after about a year I made the leap into casting and um sent a letter to anyone who would have it and I had one response from Kate Dowd who is a lovely American casting director based here who gave me an internship and I worked on Brad Pitt's film World War Z as my first job which absolutely blew my mind 
and then from there I did about eight months and then um, an agent recommended me to Nina who was looking for an assistant and I went there for six years. What initially drew you to casting then? I didn't realise until I got into it that I'd always, always sort of innately been doing it. Like my brother and I are massive musical theatre fans and we loved films growing up and we would always recast the films with our mates. So we'd be like, who would play that? Like, who would be Uncle Buck from the people that we know? <laughs> or in Les Mis, my brother would be like, right, I'll be Valjean. Like, right, okay. And I'll be like <laughs> one of the people in the pub. <laughs> but who else from our mates would we cast as the main roles? And we were just always intrigued by it. And I used to watch films... My brother would be outside playing football and I would be sat in front of the TV all the time and I would finish like a VHS and I would rewind it straight away and then I'd watch it all through again. I suppose just looking for different things to pick up and I was always really keen to track actors in different films and be like, oh, they were in this. Like that girl was in Uncle Buck and she was also in Sleepers in Seattle. And I just sort of enjoyed tracking people's moves, I suppose. So yeah, I suppose that's why I got into it, but I just... I didn't know how. I didn't know how to penetrate that world that seems so far out of my reach. Yeah, I think um, it, it feels, I, I, I might speak out of turn here, but as a Welsh person, it almost feels like Hollywood is so far away, you know, and think working with Brad Pitt on your first project must have felt really bizarre. Absolutely. I mean, I always thought, oh, if I got into it, I might do some running on set or some commercials or something. I never thought I would be part of a feature film production ever in any capacity. So to sort of be in London and go into work every day in this industry absolutely blew my mind. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your process now then, Lauren. What attracts you to a project? Ooh, um, good writing good people I mean the thing is that now I work on my own and I get sort of autonomy to say what I want to work on and what I don't want to I just want to work with really nice people mostly <laughs> I want to work on good stuff with good people you know life is stressful the job is stressful and anything we can do to sort of alleviate that by working with like-minded people who just you know want to do a good job is great so that yeah I'm drawn to nice people who want to do good work <laughs> aren't we all aren't we yes. all wouldn't like to be a dream <laughs> it's the dream yes <laughs> um I, you mentioned there a good script what to you makes a good script what what do you look for or what do you find in a piece of writing where you're like do you know what I really want to be involved in this what sticks yeah. out to you I don't know I was never really confident in my taste especially when it comes to writing I have a very I mean I loved it but I have a very basic education and you know in terms of like the English language I don't excel in any sort of writing myself so I was always sort of fairly lacking in confidence when it comes to analyzing the script and being assured in my own taste that is this good is this not and I used to send it to friends and say like write to friends what do you think of this is, is this any good and I think it might have been sex ed where I read it and thought I don't care what anyone else thinks I think this is brilliant it was funny I could it was so Moorish I would get through 
you know, an episode in like 15 minutes because I just couldn't put it down. And that for me is enough. The same with like Chloe. I just couldn't stop and I wanted to know more. Sometimes if I know it just feels a bit hard to get through, it's a bit of a slog. I know that maybe it's not the one for me. Mm. Let's talk a bit more about sex education because mm. without a doubt, it's one of the best TV series that's come out, I would say in the last decade. I think it's mm. really shaped mm. how young people can think of themselves and they can see themselves in these characters and you've been able to cast these people properly plays such an important role a lot of these actors had never worked professionally before so how did you find this amazing talent it was just we met a lot a lot of people uh, the great thing was we we had no pressure to cast people who were established, who had a body of work, which was brilliant. Well, I think we were one of Netflix UK's sort of um, original shows. So there was no pressure there, which was brilliant. And we just made sure that we met a lot of people who were within the appropriate age bracket. And um, yeah, it was, if we saw someone that we saw, was really special but not right we remembered them for something else because it was quite a big ensemble um but it was just yeah making sure that we kept a very open mind and met a lot of people and were confident in our taste and our instincts and knew who we wanted to push forward really yeah yeah and Obviously, having the outcome that it did after series one, it went down so, so well. Mm. Did the casting process change after series one? So now it's our series four. Has, has yeah. it had to be adapted a little bit? Yeah, sort of. I mean, there's, there's positives where you can say, I mean, the first series is all about, okay, so the show was sex education and this is the premise and blah, blah, and trying to win people over and trying to set the scene and trying to steer people away from what they thought it might be um and season two onwards is great because you can say oh you can watch it and have a look for yourselves and then come back to me if you want to come in it or you know people are fans of the show which is great but there is that fine line where you want to stay true to the original casting and you don't want to just pour all these american stars in because you can because now people want to be in it it's just staying true to the original tone and the style and um, being true to it and not going overboard with like stunt casting, as I like to call it. Yeah. <laughs> so when you audition actors then, Lauren, what are some of the qualities that you're looking for? Um, I suppose someone who has a naturalistic style of delivery, um, someone, I suppose, where, where it demands it, either they're dramatically skilled or they, they have, comedy skills where appropriate um sometimes it's sort of like tangible things and then sometimes it's this ineffable quality that you can't really describe you just know when you see it and you think oh yes that was it or someone who can maybe take you away from what appears on the page but it still feels so right and make you reassess what you thought you were looking for so it's always different because there's some people you love and you bring them in thinking well I know they're going to deliver but they're not particularly right for that role so it's just realizing what it is that you need for each different project that's so interesting so you wouldn't necessarily 100% stick to the original description from the script of the character that the director or that producer is looking for 
Yeah, and sometimes you, you might try in the first instance when you start to get the first group of people in, but those first few people that come in will really inform your thinking moving forward. You'll f see things that are working and some things that aren't, and it helps tailor your thoughts then moving forward and where you might need to adjust it or where you can suggest to adjust it. We don't hold that much power, but we can certainly challenge or suggest <laughs> sensitively, yeah. Uh, well, what's, what's that relationship like then between... Obviously, script writers, directors, casting directors, you know, making sure that you do get the right person for a specific role. Yeah, it's always different. I don't know if I'm the best at navigating it yet. It's all very <laughs> much a learning process. But there's, there's some directors, producers, writers who are more collaborative than others. There are some who are really open-minded and like to be introduced to new people. There are some people that aren't and really like the people they like. Uh, so it's all about, I think they really set the scene and they set the tone and you very quickly learn to adapt your way of working. Yeah. Can I, for a moment, be like a fly on the wall in an audition room? I am not a thespian, uh, so I don't know how casting processes work. So can you talk me through what it's like the second the actor walks into the room? What's, like, how is a session run? Yeah, well, I feel like post covid it's slightly different to pre-covid where it was like this and it was probably awful actors probably hated it but it was like this well-oiled machine where you'd have you know a group of a, a period of time booked at a studio in central london and you'd have these appointments where you'd have all these actors coming in for different parts and it would be fairly swift you know in deliver thank you very much wonderful next person in but I think since Covid we all need a bit more time to adjust and get back into it and back into the swing of things so we have a bit more time now which is quite nice we all get to sit down and talk to one another as sort of person to person first and then we can get into it and get into you know the work of it all so someone will come in take a seat and my camera will be set up and I'll have all my scenes behind me and we'll just chat through first of all uh, I'll ask if got any questions about the role or the project because nowadays they get so little context with NDAs and scripts that aren't sent and you know limited scenes so I'll try to arm them with as much information as I possibly can to enable them to do their best work and then we'll put the camera on, we'll do a couple of takes, we'll do a few with some direction, and then that'll be it, yeah. And I try to create a fairly relaxed environment because who wants to come in and feel like, oh God, what is this? Well, it's that's, so that's unnatural. <laughs> yeah, do you feel like it's a responsibility for yourself as a casting director to put these actors at ease? And is there anything that you do if you see someone visibly quite nervous because I think maybe they're really determined to get the role or maybe it's their first audition in a long time after a series of rejections and they're feeling a little bit downhearted how do you pick them up I usually probably just moan at them and they feel worse for me <laughs> than they do themselves usually <laughs> but I suppose it's just trying to make and I think it's a sort of common misconception where actors sometimes feel like we're against them rather than with them working together to get something really good um so I suppose it's just trying to be open and feel like it's a uh, back and forth rather than me just saying this is what I want you give me this type of thing um and just I suppose first of all to connect on a human level to be like 
well, this is weird, isn't it? Back in the room. Can, can we shake hands? That'd be great. And just to, I suppose, ease in on that level now, we've got that added layer of everything that's going on. But just try to make people forget that this is almost like an, an addition interview type thing. And it's more of like a workshop space, I suppose. Yeah. And what happens if you get an actor in where you really like them as a person um, and just they're not quite hitting the mark do you then direct them a little bit to go in the direction that you'd want to see them at their full potential for this role oh absolutely I never want them to leave until I can get that especially if I'm really rooting for them I'm like come on we're nearly there <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm I try to give direction but as you can tell I'm a massive waffler and I'll go around the houses and I'm like did any of that make sense probably didn't did it <laughs> which is why I'm not getting the the performance but yeah I'll try as many times as I can if I feel that we're almost there I'll I'll keep going but yeah I mean ultimately you want to we're never looking for the finished product but we're looking for you know as to showcase something as close to what's written mm. if you're casting for uh, a tv or tv or film or a short series or anything of that ilk and you've got two romantic leads uh, that you're auditioning how do you suss out that chemistry because I think us as kind of tv watchers and observers we can see the sparks flying on screen but that's obviously very edited down and very tailored mm. how do you find that in the room it's really interesting we did so many chemistry reads for sex ed season one and we've done them since really because it's a relationship show so they have to have chemistry and we brought in lots of different um combinations in season one um so yeah emma mackey came in i think with kida maybe another jackson option and lots of yeah lots of different combinations came in and you just try i mean you can tell not only in the scene where there's either a really nice flow they seem comfortable in one another's company like physically you can also tell that once you stop the camera and you can tell the way they talk to one another how at ease they are that's also really telling um we also did uh chemistry reads on zoom during lockdown for season three which also really worked you can just tell there's a there's a focus and then they seem drawn to one another and it's quite exposing when you have everyone's faces up probably more so than when you're in a room together where they're looking and you get sort of profile. But it's really interesting just to watch everyone's faces looking to the camera at one another. But yeah, I think you can you can sort of feel it's like a palpable thing. Mm. Have you ever had an experience where you've picked your cast members, they're all amazing individually, and then in rehearsals, for some bizarre reason, the chemistry has just been off between the actors. Has that ever happened? Not yet, because I'm very good at my job. <laughs> no, but not yet. But I'm sure I will. But that's because we, I suppose we spend so much time putting these people together and making sure they have it before we offer them the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have any casting techniques then or exercises that you use to ensure that the chemistry is there before you kind of sign the dotted line with those actors? We like to get them in. So when we get them into the room to do the scenes, we get them into like the waiting area first, whether it's an hour or half an hour. And they just sit and they chat and they meet one another. There's no worse thing than just saying in the room, OK, 
here's your love interest, off you go. I mean, it's so unnatural. So we try to get them chatting and comfortable with one another um, before they go in, especially when it, when we went on to season two and three, these characters had become so well loved that actually some people came in and were slightly starstruck. So of course that is immediately quite <laughs> jarring for someone to come in and to have to contend with. So we just try to put everyone at ease first and give them a bit of time to acclimatise maybe. Yeah. In contrast with Sex Ed then, Paddington Bear 2, which you worked on. I, I Honestly, I love that film so much. It's so, so wonderful. Um, it featured a pretty star-studded cast, you know, loads of well-known faces. You had Hugh Grant, Julie Walters, uh, Jim Broadbent was in it as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yes, was Michael Gambon? Was Michael Gambon? Am I making he was. He was the voice of, yeah, the, um, I can't remember his name now, but there was the aunt and uncle, but he's the voice of that, I think. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Why is it sometimes important then to have recognisable, famous faces as part of your cast? I think it's a draw for audiences to have names that they recognise. It will pull audiences into the cinema or to, to watch it, which is great. And I think Paddington Bear is such a well-loved thing in this country as well that people really want to do it. So why not be ambitious and... Yeah, that's pretty much it. And a lot of the people we wanted, I think, had worked with Paul King before. Maybe they were from the same sort of comedy circuit. So he had a lot of friends as well um, that he wanted to include in this gorgeous film. So, yeah, yeah, it was quite star-studded, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. How do you go about um, casting or drawing in these larger names? Then I'm assuming they're harder to book. Yeah, so, well, you'd be surprised, actually. Um, it all depends. It's... Um, depending on the role and sometimes it's good to say oh well we've got so-and-so in it so do you want to come and play with them and um if it's like a nice small condensed period because it's a guest role or a cameo or stuff that can also be appealing but I mean Paddington everyone loved the first film so getting people in for the second one wasn't really that hard yeah do you get um, pressure to cast well-known actors yes how does that work? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's great because sometimes I think since, since Sex Ed, a lot of stuff I work on, um, we're really encouraged to find a lot of young cast and a lot of new people. But there will always be that push to bring in someone with profile. Um, I suppose because it might be a good marketing push, maybe mm. it will be good to put on the poster it would be good to for the distribution of the film and the success of the film and um you know I suppose it has more chance of maybe getting a second and a third series if it has someone like a Gillian Anderson who people will come to see because I suppose sometimes you need that maybe anchor who people know and trust to to get audiences in and then they'll learn to love all these new people but I suppose maybe that's what it is people feel comfort with people they know mm. and mm. how important is it to you to keep up these relationships I suppose and keep them positive to bring these same actors back at other projects that you might be working on in the future yeah it's really important um because it's, it's great to have actors that you know are really good and solid and reliable and brilliant and it's great to help you know, guide their careers. You know, people like Alistair Petrie has an astonishing career and always has, but Sex Ed has 
sort of elevated that to another level, which is brilliant. And if I can help in any way facilitate that, that I'm thrilled. But it's also as, as nice as it is to have those relationships where you do bring in the same people. It's also really nice to give new people an opportunity, which is the balance that I'm trying to strike. It's a work yeah. in progress. What's the most rewarding thing about your job, Lauren? think like I suppose it's giving them the opportunity and then it, it happening like um we love to do the calls the job is laws and the reaction is brilliant like we did it last week for this guy that came in probably about five times for a series and the agent cried and then she called us back and she said he's just cried and he's been waiting for this opportunity we're like we know and it's so lovely just to be able to offer that and I suppose it's you know the crux of it is you're giving someone maybe some financial stability and then on the flip side it's like you know they're getting to do the job of their dreams and they got the role they want but yeah I think that's the most rewarding part of it. Mm. How long can it take sometimes to find the right actor for the role that you're casting? Does it vary from job to job? Yeah you can see maybe three people for a role and they're like yes and then um there was one part we did on Willow. Oh my God, it took us six months. And we looked across the globe. And it was, and it was so funny because it was the first guy we put up on, um, on the casting site. But yeah, we did about a six months search. It was painful. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know, um, isn't Warwick Davis a part of this film? Have you casted him for this? Yeah, so Warwick's part of it, but Warwick was attached to it. I think he'd been having chats with the execs for a while. So when I came on board, he was already he was already there. Oh, brilliant. So there was no kind of persuasion on your end to kind of draw him back in. No, I think if he wasn't doing it, there would there would be no sequel. He's the guy. Yeah. Is there pressure when you're casting for a sequel like that? And make and keep the the essence of it I suppose yeah although I think there's maybe more pressure on the writers maybe for that and the actors probably more than mine because especially with this sequel it's um sort of a new life a new thread if that makes sense um so I'm just trying to stay true to the new characters and the briefs I have there but I think there's certainly a pressure when there's an appetite for something to come back that you just hope that it's what they want and what they've waited all these years for and you hope you haven't yeah. tampered with it yeah <laughs> yeah I mean that's the thing isn't it you always want Shrek 2 to be better than Shrek 1 and then sometimes it just doesn't work <laughs> I know whenever sex ed comes out I'm on these terrible sites like oh my god what people think and everyone's like it's not as good as one before oh no oh yeah, yeah. don't go down a reddit wormhole I feel like oh. that's I'm, I'm on Twitter with keywords. I'm like, oh God, I'm screenshotting <laughs> to Melissa who works for me saying, look at this. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, talk to me a little bit about um, diversity and inclusion on sets then. And it, it's really important, isn't it, to have representation, representation on screen. Yeah. Um, and it's evolving. And I'd like to think it's improving over time. Oh, God, sorry, my phone fell. <laughs> I said I'd do this earlier and there it goes. Um, yeah. So what's the role of a casting director in ensuring equal representation on screen? 
I mean, we, like I say, we don't have, we don't hold that much power, but if we, I mean, we bang that drum and we can bang it. And if people are listening, then it's great. And if people aren't, then it's like, you know, it's frustrating, but we'll do all we can to push forward the fight for representation and inclusivity. And for us specifically as a casting office, we always try to um, seek out those from underrepresented groups rather than wait for them to be suggested because it's not necessarily them with the theatrical agents and stuff. So we try to look further afield and throw that net a little bit wider, whether that's going to social media or just doing our own research and try to build on those databases rather than being complacent thinking, oh, well, if they're out there, they're interested, they'll be suggested. So I suppose it's that, but we do try to challenge a lot of the time and say well what about this role and could we open this up and could and then you know present what we tend to do is present it in a sometimes in a visual way to say you know what about changing this up and presenting a paradigm if we're not penetrating that and the conversation's not going the way that it should mm. but it is improving it's just it more needs to be done all the time yeah yeah, and I feel like um, authenticity, I suppose, in casting, whether that's a sense of place or a sense of genuine identity, that's casting a Welsh person in a Welsh role um, or someone who's non-binary, that is, is a non-binary um, actor as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really important to us. So when we were casting Cal in season three, um, we only saw non binary actors and now we're looking for two trans characters we're only meeting trans actors when it comes to um casting you know a welsh person for example we're doing an episode of something at the moment and it's all based in wales and the main protagonist is welsh and at one point they suggested that we would cast someone to play welsh and i was like no 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 no, no. i think if you want to cast around for the other ensemble i understand that you know look at save the cinema or look at pride and that's great because you've got vast ensembles and you do need to look further afield and i would never want to pigeonhole welsh people thinking that they couldn't do other accents mm. but when it comes to uh, people from you know marginalized communities and underrepresented groups then i think authenticity is the only way forward yeah absolutely and it also makes you feel seen you know seeing someone else like you on screen and yes. seeing how well that they've done and see but you know what it's actually not that out of reach absolutely and it's so important and especially when it comes to things like sex ed where it's a young adult show and it's people in their sort of formative years and all that it's really important to feel seen so we try to do that as best we can mm. let's touch on um showcases um do you attend them you know how do you find the next big actor yeah I did go to them pre-pandemic hmm. I think we actually went to one just before it all kicked off and then since well, I had a baby during lockdown um so I've not been physically to as many but we've been watching them online but also what we rely on is a lot of the agents to tell us who they're taking on and who are really good because showcases are great and I do enjoy them and I understand they serve a purpose but sometimes it's tricky because the pieces that they pick sometimes don't feel hugely appropriate maybe for their casting and it's the same when people ask me for generals so I see show reels up 
with pieces that aren't right for them. I'm not sure if it does them a little bit of a disservice. So I always prefer getting them in, getting them in the room with a piece of text that they're right for. I feel that's more helpful. Mm. Has social media had an impact on how you cast projects? Yeah, I mean, we, we don't really use it for all briefs, but we do use it if we have a very difficult brief. During lockdown, we had to find a... A uh, Nigerian grandmother in her 70s, 80s mm-hmm. um, to play Eric's grandmother in Sex Ed. And we had no suggestions on Twitter at all. Uh, not Twitter, on Spotlight at all. No one with the theatrical agencies. So we put it out on Twitter. We had two suggestions and one was amazing. Perfect. Wow, really? So it does pay to branch out and try and yeah. find people? And she'd never acted a day in her life. And she was just a superstar and she loved it. And I think her daughter had some sort of TikTok account and that's how she found it. And it, the word had spread and we were very lucky that it's sex ed and it has a following. So people are sharing it left, right and centre. But um, yeah, it has had a really positive impact. And with our um, recent sex ed search uh, for the new trans characters, we put it on Twitter and that's been incredible. How do you know that that person is the right person for the job then? If they've never acted a day in their life, if this lady was in her 70s, it was never something that she pursued, let alone would say, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds like fun. How would you know as a casting director they can can do it? Yeah, well, she sent us a tape and she'd never done a self-tape before. And you just notice a quality in there where you think, actually, this is brilliant. She was just very calm and I had a wonderful sort of authoritative quality, which is certainly what we needed. Um, she was the right age and she was funny. She was really funny and very subtly funny. We just couldn't believe it where, I mean, if it was me sending the tape and I'd never acted a day in my life, it would be like the Estesvard. I mean, I'd be all over the place. <laughs> but she obviously just had some very natural quality that hadn't been discovered. So I hope now that she get some sort of big Hollywood film because she deserves it <laughs> yeah so I, I suppose it pays to kind of take big risks a lot of the time doesn't it because in this instance it has paid off yeah absolutely yeah what are some of your top tips Lauren for any filmmakers new on the scene that have a limited budget and maybe need to cast the film themselves uh call out lots of favours don't put any don't put any bridges. I've done a lot of um, shorts for free for beer for gin. That's how I used to get paid, and I still a bit. Um, and those people now have gone on to be directors on you know BBC projects, films. So it's all about um, making relationships and stuff. And I suppose it's just um, finding like-minded people and building your own network of of friends who you can call on to say, oh, do you mind helping me out with this? Please, can I just get a list from you and blah, 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 because you'll all be the next generation of filmmakers. Mm. And when working on different types of output, whether that is a TV series, whether it's feature films, whether it's shorts, as you just mentioned, does the type of production affect the way that you cast? Yeah, it really does. Um, I did a theatre show for the first time, uh, when was it, last year? We did the transfer of The Ocean at the End of the Lane from the National Theatre into the West End. And I'd never done theatre before. 
and it's really different um you you're always in with the director which is really cool because we tend to in film and tv start off alone for the first couple of rounds and as we get towards the end then we bring in the director um and they would really take the time with it be one-on-one -on -one, and they start to sort of unpick the script and everything there and then i was like oh this is nice and give one another time but also the director would be looking for different attributes in an actor had they trained did they know how to project their voice had they worked in theater before and these were qualities that they didn't really want to compromise on so sometimes bringing in complete unknowns with no credits or no voice training wasn't necessarily the way to go so it was just about adapting it so it was really interesting um a very different way to work but yeah a, a good learning curve mm. do you come across any particular casting specific challenges very often um i think roles and things or well any kind of hoops that you feel like you have to jump through just to make sure that you get the right person for the right job oh god yeah um <laughs> i suppose it's always it's always you never quite know how to how to pitch it you know some people want to be wooed which is great and you'll have to find a way there um i don't know it's all quite it's all case by case if that makes sense i mean we don't have to jump through too many hoops sometimes it is playing a game whether you send nice notes from the director whether you take someone out whether you go and see their show first and then offer them something there's different ways of going about it um, but what we try to do is sort of preserve our relationships with all the agents so that we have a really nice honest back and forth and can talk honestly and say would your client like to do this and blah 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 um it's very important to sort of keep those because you you get to coin in a lot of favors and have open candid conversations with them mm. so if you could give one golden piece of advice that you would give yourself when you first started working in the casting world maybe a bump in the road that you faced and something you figured out along the way what would it be oh my god so many sorry i know it's a very existential question <laughs> my my favorite thing is research is key always go beyond the sort of natural means always look beyond i'm forever and i'm sure my office hate me i'm always like melissa can we have a look at you know whether it's like new up-and-coming american actors or we try to cover a lot of different tv shows like i might watch something that i might not necessarily watch because it's not you know a genre i like or you know i've heard mixed reviews about it but it's also about watching stuff you see who is doing what at the moment what have they just taken who are they playing opposite what's that type of role that they've just played okay so they want to play that again in the next project or whatever so i think it's just research you can never do enough whether it's you know building your databases whether it's uh educating yourself about new actors um yeah watching different tv shows learning about different directors and producers that's my thing is research is key i i would never ever want to be that person that says i've seen everyone there is to see i mm. never want to be that person i will always be like there's more i'll find more <laughs> and i might i might caveat that with i'll find you more but they won't you know they won't be very good this will be the last one type <laughs> thing but i'll i'll never want to say this is your lot thank you very much pick from this Batch. yeah what's the most interesting way that you've found someone that you've ended up hiring 
Um, I suppose it was the Twitter search. Mm. I'm sure it's that. I've never sort of gone up to someone on the street and be like, hey, want to be a star? There's <laughs> <laughs> anything like weird like that. Um, yeah, I suppose it is that. I think that she's my proudest piece of casting because it, well, there were so many things against us. We thought originally that we were going to maybe go and street cast. We thought that might be the, the most appropriate way to go for the age range and what we were looking for and authenticity. And then, of course, COVID hit. And we just couldn't, one, we weren't allowed to go out. And certainly we weren't going to be meeting any people in their 70s or 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was just, so, I remember thinking, and I said this a year before we actually went into production, I was like, we're never going to find this role. <laughs> and then we, we did. So I suppose things like that, or during lockdown, we had to look for adult performers. That was really interesting. So isn't it never boring? It's always, I always want to get as close as I can. And I always want to like, deliver never want to say oh well I can't find this so what about this mm. so I suppose yeah. that comes back around to like the research again maybe yeah I love that it's almost like the search is never over and I know you mentioned earlier I mean even if someone isn't right for the specific role that you're casting then and there they're always in the back pocket you know hasn't happened a lot where you've ended up re-approaching an actor saying really sorry didn't get that job that you wanted but there's something here that might be perfect for you Always, and I go. We did it on sex ed. I mean, not the job, but the roles. So Amy Lou Wood met for Lily, and then she booked Amy, and then Trish, who plays Ola, met for like three roles, and then booked that. Um, so it's just finding someone thinking, oh God, I love their quality, but that's not quite right. And then let's just keep them in mind. And you're like, oh, this one's just come up great. But you're always you're seeing people, and there's never it's never a wasted opportunity ever because they will always stay in the back of your mind for good or for bad, but they will always <laughs> stay with you. That's a good point, actually. As anyone, you don't have to name and shame here, obviously, but has anyone ever taken you by surprise? Where you thought, oh, God, no, they really just didn't have it at all. And then you've seen them a couple of months, a couple of years later for something different, and they completely knock it out of the park. Yeah, I mean, some people do just develop and, and grow and just improve at it which of course you do if you're doing it all the time you do practice and you get better and I suppose there's a time where you'll see someone you think oh maybe that wasn't quite what I was looking for but it depends it depends how how bad it was or how off-piste it was and whether that was a decision or whether that was them you know not taking your direction it depends sort of what setting that was in but yeah there's definitely been times where you see people when time has gone on and they've just eased into it or maybe they've become more comfortable with the way that they act and maybe they don't want it as much and that really helps as well when you relax a little bit more you don't put so so much pressure on yourself yeah yeah Yeah. well Lauren thank you so much that's basically all the questions from me however we'll now hand it over to our lovely audience watching at home Um, this is your opportunity to pick Lauren's brain with the questions that have been coming in thick and fast uh, of course, it's not too late either to submit a question to us. Uh, so just use the Q&A function in the chat and hopefully we'll get around to it as best as we can and uh, not to be disconcerting. But my camera always freezes when I touch this Q&A bit. So I'm going to go off camera for a moment. So there'll be a voice in the ether, Lauren. Hope you don't See mind. you in a minute. No, that's All right. right. I'll, be, I'll be back. I'll be <laughs> okay. back. 
Um, so, I wish mine so could so go off. I'm so hot. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get to our first question here. Um, it's by Cindy Downing. Hi, Cindy. Uh, you've said, you mentioned how it can be great if an actor can find something unexpected from what's on the page or the bio. How do you feel about improv in auditions? So, for example, the actor playing with and changing the lines. I'm always for thinking outside the box or trying to appear memorable but when it's appropriate. And I think that's probably a good question to ask in the room because it all depends on who the writer is. There are some people who really enjoy actors uh, yeah, slightly, you know, going going off slightly and maybe, maybe doing a bit of improv, but there are some writers who want it word for word. So that's a really good question to ask in the room. I'm always for it, up for it, if people stay true to the tone of the piece and the character and it doesn't go off into its own world yeah has it does it feel like it's often enhancing the performance or can it go completely the other way as it well can, yeah it can go completely the other way and you're like oh no why did you do that but the good thing about being in the room sometimes is that you can say that was great let's try another version as well and we can send them off together the tough thing is now with self-tapes is that you have that one crack at it isn't it and your interpretation is what you send across um, but yeah, in the, in the room, it's good that you can you can try that. But it's always good to ask ask the question and to sort of know what the team want, really. Sunny, mm -hmm. thanks for that question. Uh, we'll move on to Alia. Alia, hi, Alia. Uh, you've asked uh, when you have more than one person who is great for the role. How do you make the final decision? Oh yeah, I hate that bit. <laughs> it's um. Some other things will come into play if they're playing opposite someone. How do they look together? Um, you will just ultimately find reasons why one will be more suitable than the other. Um, and you just have to bite the bullet and just pick. It's it's really tough. It all depends on, on the actual project and ultimately what it is you need them to do. Um, but yeah, it's really not really not an easy choice when you've got two people that you love very much. Yeah, but you, I've, I suppose you've never felt like you made the wrong decision if it's 50-50. Not sometimes. Not oh, that no. I never admit it, but yeah. <laughs> Not always, oh, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's so tricky. That is really mm. tricky. Or sometimes you, you want someone and maybe the creative team don't and they'll win out and then you're like, hmm, told you so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate to say I told you so, but oh. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, Maisie's got a question as well. Hello, Maisie. Uh, Maisie is asking, what makes a great showreel, Lauren? Ooh, um, something that feels appropriate to your casting um, and something that's not a big two-minute montage at the beginning. Something goes straight into your scenes, well-labeled with your name and the name of the project or whatever it is when the clip comes up. Um, and something that I think shows you as you and if you're maybe more comedic maybe it can be tailored towards that and I think it just needs to play to your strengths really and be you know of a good quality um, you don't have to make a show reel of you doing several monologues at home if you don't want to that I know I know different offices give out conflicting advice, but that's just what I prefer. If you don't have a showreel, I would rather get you in 
with something that you write for than see you put something up that is more of a hindrance. Yeah. How long are they generally, Lauren? I think they should be around like two minutes, maybe two and a half. Okay. And do you watch through an entire show reel? You kind of don't, you don't give up after 30 seconds if you're not keen? It all depends. It depends how good the show reel is. <laughs> but you can tell, like I can tell within, you know, 30 seconds of someone being in the room, whether they're right or not. And it's the same thing with um with a show reel a show reel really I'll watch and think okay I'm gonna get them in or that they're maybe not right for this part yeah, yeah. thanks for an amazing question Maisie hopefully that answers uh I hope you're pronouncing your name right uh can she uh can is asking is there a certain type or look that you go for or do you like to find the more unique actor I love interesting faces I've always been one for a face and I'll always remember an interesting face. So I suppose it's that, and then you hope that the acting skill sort of matches that, really. Um, but I'm just for someone who blows me away with their performance on whether that's a one line or whether that's like two scenes or whatever. Someone you just like, oh, boom, yes, great. <laughs> who evokes some sort of feeling in you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, John's got a question as well. Uh, he says, I don't provide much descriptive detail in introducing characters. I'm hoping they will show through in their action, dialogue and interaction. But is this helpful in casting or should I be more prescriptive? No, I love that. Funnily enough, I was in a meeting the other day with writers and the director was next to me and they, they mentioned a character and they gave me all the, the descriptive things of it. And the director said, oh, Evans loves this. Because, <laughs> and sort of rolled his eyes. And because I think it feels so limiting. And if you open it up, then the possibilities are sort of, you know, endless rather than saying, I think this is what it should be. But it doesn't actually feed into the narrative. So it could actually be anything. So that's what I prefer. I, I think it just gives you a bit more freedom to look rather than saying, oh, actually, you know, putting things there that just feel slightly limiting, maybe. Yeah. And I suppose there has to be an open dialogue then as well in making sure that you're both on an open page, right? Yes, absolutely. I think that's a good um, catalyst for discussion. If there's nothing much there, then when you have your first meeting, you can say, okay, so what were your thoughts here? And it's an open dialogue and to say, okay, well, I was thinking this. And then you can, you can keep that in your mind. But actually, when you send it out then to to actors if you do veer away they're thinking well that's not me in the script and then it has to be changed anyway so yeah that's always a tricky thing where I'm asking people to take descriptive things out because maybe I've thrown the net a bit wider and trying to you know just explore my own avenue that I need them to remove it so I'd say keep it off yeah oh thanks for your question John uh, there's another here. Uh, bear in mind as well, if you're listening or watching and you have a question for Lauren that hasn't already been answered and it's really bugging you, then please do send them through. We have another seven minutes, uh, so plenty of time to squeeze you in. Uh, we've got an anonymous question here, Lauren. Uh, they said, how long would you say it takes to become an associate casting director? Oh, Melissa, is that you? Is that Melissa who works with me? I bet it is. Um, she is an associate. Um, I don't know. I took, so I worked at Nina's for six years and I became an associate after maybe three, 
years. It all depends on what office you work in and how many projects you work on and the role you take on those projects, maybe. Because um, I, I think an associate's role is to be able to, to take the project from beginning to end and essentially sort of do it with, you know, the cast and director maybe overseeing it, but essentially do the job. So I don't know, maybe three to four years. But again, depending on whether you've had solid work in offices or where I'm not sure if it's been like you know if it's sporadic it might be different but yeah I'd say that's probably a I, d I don't know that's what mine was anyway yeah yeah, yeah. we've got a similar question here actually uh, we'll get it as well uh, when did you start your own office Lauren um, how was that as a transition from assistant to heading your own space Oh, nuts. I never wanted to do it ever. I was always very happy sort of nestled in a company where you just sort of sat together and, you know, the buck didn't really stop with you. I mean, it was still full on. I still have like calls at night from producers and, you know, I still had a, a prominent role there. But I, um, I got pregnant in 2017 and sort of left with the view that I was going to go back always knowing in my head I'm never going to be able to go back and have a baby and commute in and do all this and I was so lucky that um I'd work with Eleven Film on a, a docu-series while I was pregnant and they said sent me an email what are you up to I was like well just had a baby what are you doing and they said do you want to come in and meet on the Netflix show we're doing and I got it and so it just made sense then that I would work on my own but I never actually wanted to go it alone but it's all right <laughs> yeah you don't regret it no you don't regret it don't no regret it. I don't regret it it's good <laughs> but oh my god the the you know the headache of it all of you know of the buck stopping with you and stuff it's mm -hmm. you know it's a lot of pressure but I do really enjoy it and it's great because now I get to work on now my associate probably hates me for picking stuff <laughs> like when I used to work for Nina I'd be like oh really I don't want to do that one it's um yeah it's a funny one. Yeah. Martin Johnston's has a, has a question. Uh, he says, firstly, thank you for sharing your process with us and congratulations uh, on all you've yet to achieve. Uh, you've mentioned showreels. Are they still a valuable tool within the casting process given the change on the casting approach since the pandemic impacted the world, uh, not wanting to open the floodgates? But do you welcome actors sending their details to you directly for your consideration? Yes, so showreels, yes, definitely. Like I said, if it's if it's sort of if it feels appropriate for you and it's good quality, absolutely. But if you're just putting a mishmash together of things that you think because you want to have something there, but you don't actually feel like it's the right material, then just I think hold a beat and, and wait until you get stuff that you're very, you know, you're happy with. Um but in terms of what was the last bit of the question? I've just lost it. Oh my god, my head has gone, it's mush what was the second bit of that question uh well um uh can actors send their details yes. to you directly sorry oh my god i'm terrible yes absolutely i don't think it ever hurts to say hello i'm available here's all my stuff please do consider me but when it tips over into that more inappropriate email is when i've had a couple of times the last couple of weeks um, people email and say oh hello you've not come back to me I wanted to schedule a meeting with you and I'm free next Tuesday Wednesday Thursday let me know what works for you <laughs> and of course I'd love to sit and chat all day with actors absolutely but because of work I can't and I'll 
you know, like we say, we log everyone as they come in and always sort of sit there and we'll definitely be in touch if something comes up, but we can't just go out and have generals and sort of presumptuous emails tend to maybe fall a bit flat. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I've got a question here from Harriet. We'll try and squeeze in as many as you can in the last two minutes. Uh, but Harriet says, uh, as a young student trying to get into film school, what's the best way to start my journey as a casting director? Oh, well, I know that there's not many courses for actual casting, apart from that new one at the NFTS, which I think is supposed to be really, really <coughs> brilliant. So definitely everyone go to that. Um, but I think in terms of like, if you want to go and study film at university or, or anything like that, absolutely do. But this is like a learn on the job kind of thing. And I suppose just, you know, get into it whenever you can. And please do drop me a line if you're ever looking to get into casting or want some experience or, um, and that's, yeah, that's what we encourage really for new young uh, casters uh if, yeah just to apply to offices and say do you have any work can I come in can I do you know some shadowing and it's yeah it's that, it's that job where you sort of just tend to learn as you go I think oh thank you we've got time for one more I'm afraid uh, it's anonymous uh they've said when casting kids or youth have you ever found that you have to recast because of growth spurts or puberty uh so when shooting isn't scheduled for another six to twelve months no I haven't actually oh god no um that would be tough but I've not done anything that has had I suppose many people under because sex ed everyone's 18 and over which is good um but yes I'm sure there will come a day where you cast someone and you auction them for like 10 years as they love to do and then you're like whoops she's now taller than the lead actress and I don't know <laughs> yeah how all that goes but God, when you say stuff like that, it makes you think, oh, what a bloody terrible industry, isn't it? You give with one hand, you take with the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to come back now to the screen. Um, but I'm so, I, I, this hour has absolutely flown. Sadly, that's mm. all we have time for. Um, but thank you so much to everyone at home for all your amazing questions and your company for tuning in to the Casting Masterclass course. Lauren, massive thank you to you for making this session possible. Not at all. Thank you. Been great to chat. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed myself. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Let's um, do it. Let's just stay on. <laughs> uh, and if you at home enjoyed the session just as much as we did, then do take a look at the rest of the sessions happening online all this week. Uh, the next one is networking tomorrow at noon. Uh, and there's a link in the chat now where you can explore the rest of the program. And if there's anything you missed in the session today with Lauren and myself, or you'd like to tell a friend who's keen into casting, but they couldn't be here today. There'll be a link on the end slide that I'm gonna show you in a second of how to listen back to this whole session on the BAFTAs SoundCloud. But for now, that's all from me. Thank you so much to everyone. Have a lovely week in the sunshine. Thank you again, Lauren. Thank you everyone. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.